Uh, you know, I, I don't say this near enough, but I absolutely love being your pastor. Uh, I do. I, uh, and uh, this, uh, I love each one of you. Uh, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I've been here over 19 months now. It's amazing how time flies, uh, but it's certainly a joy uh, for me to serve with you uh, and to serve you as your pastor. So thank you for all that you do, for your worship, for your prayers each and every week. And uh, graduation Sundays are just a time when it just helps me reflect uh, to see the young people of the church and all the generations just uh, praying together and worshiping together. It's such a joy uh, for me. Invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4. We're going to continue our series of sermons. Uh, come and see. Uh, we took a couple of weeks off uh, from John, uh, but we're going to get back uh, to it today in John chapter 4. Uh, I think John 3 and 4 are probably my two favorite sections of Scripture uh, for a lot of reasons, for the comparison that's going on, for the for the message that's being communicated. Uh, they're just so packed with good information. We're going to spend a couple weeks, uh, maybe longer in chapter 4. We're going to kind of break the chapter, uh, specifically this conversation with this woman at a well into several units uh, to try to explain all that's there because there is just a ton of rich, it's like when you, I, I use this analogy, but you, you break the Snickers bar open and the gooey goodness is all inside. That's what chapter four is. I mean, there's just some good stuff there. Uh, so we're just going to kind of look at uh, the first nine verses, kind of introduce the setting uh, to you this morning with the idea of where is your well? Where is your well? Uh, I, um, God, it's been, it's been almost 10 years ago uh, that I was, uh, got out of my comfort zone a little bit, got on a big, big airplane, which I love to fly. The airplane wasn't a problem. It was the nine-hour flight over the water. Uh, and you know, during, when, when the sun's going down and you're over the water, you're like, man, if something goes wrong, we're in trouble because <laughs> there's nothing but water. Then the sun went down and we're traveling a late-night flight and you look out the window and you don't see anything. That's nerve-wracking. Uh, but then all of a sudden you leave at like six o'clock in the afternoon and you get over to Romania and it's like only like an hour difference or something, but it, it, or something like that. But I went to Romania for the purpose of ministering to what we know them as gypsies. Uh, that's actually not a, a good word. Uh, we call them Romas, uh, the Roma people. Uh, and some of the best people I've ever interacted with on the planet. Uh, but the, Villages, they, they, they've got them, so, I mean, I, I, we're probably familiar with some of the stigma around gypsies and Roma people, and so in Romania, they kind of have them in their own villages. So, you know, we were staying in kind of the city and had to travel, and you go down these dirt roads, and you kind of wind through some woods, and then you're just like, back into the 1960s. Uh, they do have electricity, but they do not have indoor plumbing. They do not have running water. But they've got a well. Now that was like the coolest thing of, for me. Because I had never really seen a community of people use a well. A community common well. And so we spent a lot of time working and going to house to house and building some fences. But during lunch, where did everybody go? To the well. Because that's where we found out their well was a little bit different than what we're talking about here. Uh, and the culture was a lot different, but there's a nice little shady area at the well. And 
So the community would gather at the well just to have lunch, fellowship. Uh, They would drink the water from the well. We did not drink the water from the well. Uh, that that was probably like one of the the all well I don't know what word to describe it. Uh, it's muddy water. Uh, it's not it's not clean clear water, and they just they just drink it, and it doesn't affect them because they're used to it. And we had our bottle of water, of course. But being at the well is where some of the best conversations of the whole trip took place, because we had all gone to the well to get out of the heat of the day to seek refreshment, to quench our thirst, and we were able to talk about Jesus at the well. The next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at the well. And the question today is, where is your well? Chapter 4 begins with this transition from chapter 3. Jesus, if you remember, had been ministering in the Jerusalem, the southern part of the country. Uh, He had been baptizing in the southern part of the country. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So read with me starting... In verse 1, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but it was his disciples, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Shechar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Because his disciples had gone into the village or gone into the town to buy food. And in verse 9, how is it that a Jew asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. And then the conversation continues, but that's where we're going to stop at today. These first six, nine verses uh, set the stage for what will become a very transformative conversation with Jesus. What's really important that I want you to see today is that Jesus is leaving the holy city of Jerusalem. He's leaving Galilee, or Judea, his people, his Jewish people, a place where he had found popularity amongst common folk. Now, the religious leaders didn't like him, and so it kind of forced him to go. Now, you might be thinking, well, he's going back to Galilee, his people are up there too, and that's right, that's a Jewish center. But the Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And many of you have probably heard this and know this. But Jewish people didn't travel through Samaria. The hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans were, I mean, massively, I mean, huge. You think we have hatred today in this world? That's comparable. They did not like each other. The Jews, in fact, if they were traveling from south to north, would go east, cross over the Jordan River, then go north. And then go back west. They would add two or three days to their trip just to avoid these people. These outcast people. And the history of this hatred goes back a long time. You can read about it in the Kings, Second Kings in particular. 
Uh, but just a, a quick summary of the history. The nation of Israel was unified at one point. But then they divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south. The Assyrians captured the northern kingdom. The Assyrians come into the capital of the northern kingdom, which was Samaria, and relocate many of the Jewish people who live there. And they plant themselves there. And the remnant of Jewish people that stayed are now intermarrying with the Assyrians. So we've got Jews and Assyrians coexisting, marrying each other. And the result of that becomes a kind of inner worship. They kind of are taking the Assyrian idols and kind of their Jewish gods and they're molding them. And so they really become an idol-worshiping people. In fact, they throw out all of the Old Testament except the first five books. So you might begin to see why the Jews didn't like them so much. The Jewish people saw them as idol worshipers, a mixed race, not pure Jewish. They looked at them as people who had no right to be a part of the family of God. Now the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. And they set up their own mountain to worship, which we'll get into as we go through the conversation. And these two groups tried to avoid each other at all costs. And yet Jesus says, I've got to go through Samaria. Now, I picture it like this, that they're walking. And I love Peter, but I think this is in character with Peter. That they're walking and they come to the little fork in the road that says Jews this way, Samaritans this way. And Jesus keeps walking. And I see Peter kind of going this way. And he goes, Jesus... You took a wrong turn, GPS messed up, come back this way. And Jesus says, no, I gotta go to Samaria. Because Jesus understands that there is a well that he's got to be at. And there's a woman he has to talk to. The truth is, everybody, and what we see in this text is everyone everywhere needs Jesus. The need for Jesus is universal. The need for Jesus is universal. Everyone everywhere needs Jesus. And here's how John the author depicts it. There's a contrast, a comparison between Nicodemus and this woman. Nicodemus, the religious leader, the Jew of Jews, the man, the teacher of Israel, the Pharisee, the perfect person. And Jesus says, you got to be reborn. And now... To this woman, she's not very religious at all. In fact, she doesn't keep any part of the law. This woman doesn't. The three main differences you see between this woman and Nicodemus is their gender. Uh, is the, the culture considered men, don't, that culture considered men more important than women. Sad culture, by the way. By the way, just, just to throw this out there. Jesus broke down that barrier on many, many occasions because two of his closest followers were women. Who went to the tomb to find him resurrected? Women, okay? So Jesus is breaking down that cultural barrier. And by going to this woman at this well, he's beginning to see that their gender was a huge difference. Their status. Nicodemus was well-respected. She was not even respected by her own people in her own village. That's why she was going to the well at noon. She couldn't go when everybody else went. But then it was their nationality. 
One author I was reading this week recounted or told the story of a book that he had read about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. In the 12-day manhunt for John Wilkes Booth, Booth was able to write in his journal the following uh, paragraph. Booth writes, Our country owed all her troubles to him, speaking of Lincoln. And God simply made me the instrument of his punishment. And yet, for striking down a greater tyrant than they ever knew, I am looked upon as a common cutthroat. That pretty much sums up the division and the hatred and the animosity of those days. Sadly, there are many people who feel that way today. Maybe about these particular circumstances, people still celebrate the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. But more than that, we have great division nationally. Nationally, We have great division around the world. You know, my fear is that the differences that affected the Samaritans and the Jews still affect us today. We look at people and we judge people based on gender, status, nationality, race, and a whole list of categories. We are a people who throw up walls for our families. We throw up walls in our churches. The most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. I fear we want to attract people to our churches that look like us, act like us, spend like us. Jesus is breaking down walls. He's breaking down the barriers of gender, of nationality, of status. He's breaking down the barriers of race because Jesus knows that everyone needs him. Everyone. Rich, poor, religious, secular, Republican, Democrat, independent need Jesus. African, Asian, American, Hispanic, European. They all need Jesus because they're all sinners. It doesn't matter the language that a person speaks, the lifestyle they live, the color of their skin. Everyone needs Jesus. The immigrants from Afghanistan, Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras need Jesus. And the church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To show the love of Jesus. You know... uh, We talk about the Great Commission a lot and Jesus ascended into heaven and then at Pentecost Peter preached and the disciples went. For thousands of years Christians followed the teachings of Jesus and they took the message of the gospel around the globe. They started where they were at in Jerusalem. They spread it through the Roman Empire. Then they went into Africa. They went into Europe. As time went on missionaries went east into India to China. Then they went west into the New World. The church has always been God's plan for reaching everyone everywhere. And yet many churches, instead of going to the well, are building up our walls. So let's say that again. Instead of going to our wells, we're building up walls. Instead of going to the wells, we're sitting on our cushioned pews in a really good air condition this morning. While there are people at the wells who are thirsty for Jesus. There are people who have never heard the gospel. There are people who have heard the gospel and have rejected the gospel. They're at the wells. John Piper says that missions exist 
because worship does not. And what he means by that is there are places where people are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And until everyone everywhere has heard, then we need to be going to the wells. Even if people are different than us. And listen, I, I am, I'm a homebody. I am, I love my comfort zone more than anybody else. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing fingers at me. I like to sit in my office and study my Bible. But there's people out there who need to hear about that Bible. I had a professor in seminary who, um, very similar. He was an office body, very introverted. He forced himself to become a volunteer fireman because that allowed him to interact with people who didn't know Jesus. That was his well. It forced him to get out of his comfort zone. It forced him to do something he really didn't want to do, but he knew he needed to do it. Where is your well? Where's my well? Where do we need to go to tell people about Jesus? It doesn't have to be overseas, although God may work in your hearts and your lives and he may call someone. Some of these graduates eventually could be called to go overseas or be a a North American missionary to go to these hard hit areas. But maybe your well is your office. Maybe your well is where you work. Maybe your well is the school you attend. Maybe it's the cafeteria where people gather at lunch. Maybe your well's at the barber shop. I, I go to a beauty parlor, but <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> okay, okay. I know what, I, you know, I, I'm with that. That's, that's all you're going to take away from this sermon now. Is, but maybe your well is the barber shop. I remember the barber shop growing up. You know, you know, you know what happens at the barber shop? Same thing at the beauty parlor. Just a lot of gossip. A lot of talking. A lot of bragging. Right? Maybe the barber shop's your well. Where you can brag about Jesus. Maybe the beauty salon is where you brag about Jesus. Where is your well? The need for Jesus is universal. I also want to point out to you this morning, the need for Jesus is very personal. The need for Jesus is very personal. Jesus did not send a letter. He did not create a radio program or a TV show. All those things are not bad. Don't don't misunderstand me. They're not bad. He didn't just place a copy of the Bible in a hotel room and hope it worked. Again, that's not bad because I know many people who have picked up a Gideon Bible and have read John's Gospel and been saved. So I'm not knocking any of these things. What I'm saying is the need is personal. People that, it's greater today than it has ever been. Do not underestimate the power of a personal invitation or a personal conversation. Don't underestimate the power of building relationships with non-Christians and saying, hey, let's go to the coffee shop and just talk about our faith. In a very, very, very unhostile way, you're just having conversations. Don't underestimate the power of the personal one-on-one conversations that we have each and every day. We don't have to have large-scale events. We don't have to have crusades. We don't have to have uh, a big fall festivals, although we should and we will. And that's a great way to spread the gospel. But what's more important is that at these big events, we build personal relationships. We identify people who are lost and we just say, hey, let's go grab lunch one day. 
Let's just talk. You talk about Jesus. Talk about life. Pray for him. One of the greatest things I've ever seen happen was uh, last year at Deep Impact uh, in, Hon- uh, in Hendersonville. I went out to dinner with the staff and... The very first thing when the waitress came up, uh, the lady, uh, Dolly, she said, how can I pray for you? That's all she said to the waitress is, how can we pray for you? That's all it took to open up a personal gospel conversation. And we prayed for her. And she was hurting. She had needs. Don't ever underestimate the power of personal conversations. Jesus is a personal savior. He went to her personally. And Jesus uses real everyday people to take the gospel to real everyday people. The question is, are we going to go to the well? That's the question. Are we going to go to the well? Are we going to get out of our comfort zones? Are we going to boldly stand up and say, I may be picked on, I may be made fun of, I could even lose my job. But going to the well is more important. Their souls are more important. So here's my challenge for you this week as we uh, prepare for this time of invitation. And as we sing and as we close, I want you to think of people That you know today that don't know Jesus. And if you're sitting there and you're like, well, all my friends are Christians. They all know Jesus. Then I want you to ask the question, how and where can I go to meet non-Christians? That is my challenge for you this week, is to be completely focused on where I can tell people about Jesus. Make a list of it, write it down. I'm going to give you an acronym that's going to help you. If you got your notes, you might want to write this down. It's Fran, F-R-A-N. Think about your uh, your friends who don't know Jesus. Think about your relatives who don't know Jesus. Think about your acquaintances who don't know Jesus. And think about your neighbors in your neighborhood who don't know Jesus. Pray for them. And then go to the well and have a conversation with them. Let's pray together. Father, around the world today, there are thousands of people who don't know who you are. They've never heard the gospel. They've never read the Bible. Father, we pray that you would call a generation of missionaries who would who would rise up and go to that well and tell people about Jesus. We pray for people to give financially and to pray that we would be a church that goes to the well every day. That we would have compassion for the lost. That we would see the need. That we would say, I must go to the outcast. I must go to the places I'm not comfortable going. I must tell people about Jesus in situations where I'm not eh, comfortable doing it. Help us to see the need. Break our heart for the people who need Jesus. And give us the courage and the boldness to have a personal conversation with them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.